0: Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ sermon podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church
1: of Christ. This morning's scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> 1 through 12. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain and when he had sat down, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
0: If I ask you to identify what your favorite passage of Scripture is, you might have something that comes to mind. Uh, For some of us, maybe there's one we immediately think of. Uh, For others of us, maybe it's a toss-up for a, a few different really meaningful ones. I wonder for how many of us we would say the Sermon on the Mount, because there's a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that is memorable, that is positive. Those chapters from Matthew 5 through 7, uh, the things we like to sing about at VBS, about building our house on the rock, about being the light of the world, the salts of the earth, But there are also some things in the Sermon on the Mount that are pretty tough for us to wrestle with, that are important, that we need to know, but that aren't always easy for us to grasp onto. Some ideas, like building our lives on the rock, that seems really easy to grasp onto, but there are some that seem a little more challenging. And part of that passage that's a little more challenging is the passage that Carrie read for us. Going through these beatitudes, these blessings. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is spend some time in the beatitudes. Uh, Every uh, year we like to start in the fall with something from the Gospels. As we go back to school and as we get focused, uh, we're going to be thinking about these uh, beatitudes, describing the blessings. Here are people who are blessed. And as we were talking before worship, sometimes it's a little confusing. We sing about blessed assurance, right? Or blessed be the name of the Lord. And so sometimes we have two distinct syllables. Uh, But then if we read it, maybe normally we just say blessed. So I may say blessed, I may say blessed. We will probably go through both of those pronunciations. But as we think about these blessings that begin at the very beginning of this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to speak with authority, we realize he's going to say some things that are kind of hard to hear. And one of the challenges is even understanding this term, blessed. When he says, blessed are, and fill in the blank, it's hard for us even to translate the the word behind that. Uh, Some translations say happy. You know, happy are the poor in spirit. and there's a part of that that gets it that accurately, but what we think about happiness is so different. When we use the term happy, a lot of times we're thinking about emotion, we're thinking about feeling, thinking about something that seems a little more temporary. So if I stood up this morning and said, happy are all those who are going back to school, you might say, well, I don't know about all of us. Uh, The students might say that. Uh, Teachers might think that they might not say it out loud to the students but maybe they're thinking i don't know how happy we are about this right so there, it's not just the transitory happiness we might could say congratulations because there's a sense in which these blessings are a recognition of something good that's happening but again if i said congratulations on school starting again you might say well i don't know it i don't necessarily feel that way but we also know if we're talking about school or a lot of other things there are positives and so it's good to be blessed it's good to say okay happy are congratulations to blessed are the people experiencing this but what jesus does in the beatitudes is going to be characteristic of what he does in the sermon on the mount he'll say things that start off one way and have a certain set of expectations but then he'll give a reversal, or maybe he'll say something surprising. So one of the patterns that shows up in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, here's what you've learned, now I'm going to take that a little bit deeper. And he does something similar here in the Beatitudes when he says, okay, I'm going to begin with an announcement, begin with announcing a blessing on someone, but I'm going to choose a group that you're not going to think they're really blessed these are blessed people and so as as we go through this i want us just to notice from week to week how jesus says things that would have been surprising to them to hear it and are surprising to us now there are a couple of different ways we can look at the beatitudes uh... we might be able to look at them thinking only of the positive elements the blessings that comes from that and and maybe as one commentator uh, Put it Maybe a great way to illustrate that contrast is to think about two very famous, very illustrious characters, Tigger and Eeyore. All right, so we'll start with Tigger. All right, if, if you watched any, read any Winnie the Pooh, you know that Tigger has the incurable optimism, always excited, always really pumped up, bouncing around, isn't this great, things are going to be great. And you just get a sense of just that unfiltered excitement. And maybe you know people like that who just seem to have that energy and enthusiasm. I wish I had that energy and enthusiasm all the time. And it might be that we could read these and say, this is great. Isn't, we're blessed. Isn't this great? We've got blessings here and blessings there. We're, just, we're too blessed to be worried about anything at all. And I just always need to be kind of on this spiritual high. And no matter what, I need to be positive. Now, one of the things that Winnie the Pooh gives us is another friend, Eeyore, who is the opposite. Eeyore talks a little bit more slowly, and he's not bouncing around anywhere. He's kind of dragging around places, and he's saying, oh no, you know, this is always going to be the worst. I can't believe this is going to happen. We've, we've felt like that. I don't know which, which you're more like. Uh, sometimes I have to work pretty hard to be the, the positive, excited person. Sometimes I have to, to get myself you know, revved up, give myself a pep talk. But maybe with Eeyore, we could say, look at all these. He's talking about people who are mourning. People who are, are poor in spirit. Oh, look at all the challenges that we're facing. It seems to me that in order to understand the Beatitudes, I have to know both of these. I have to know the excitement of the blessings that God is pronouncing, but I also have to realize the current reality, that a lot of those people who have this great blessing from God are also dealing with the tough things in life, and that I'm one of those people. So he begins in Matthew 5, verses, verse 3, the first individual, the first people who are singled out to be blessed are those who are poor in spirit blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now let's just spend some time thinking about this verse and what that means blessed are the poor in spirit we might think of someone who is spiritually poor and think that sounds like a negative that sounds like someone who did poorly in a certain area if you did poorly on a test you did poorly on a spiritual test well you're not very spiritual but that's not the category that Jesus is using here. In fact, if you go back through the Old Testament, there's a category of poor that's described as a righteous poor that shows up in the Psalms and it shows up in the prophets. These are people who were being afflicted, these were God's people who were who were destitute, who were in trouble, who were doing what's right but they were getting all the negative uh, consequences of that and there are reminders in scripture that god is with those people so for example in the 149th psalm the lord takes pleasure in his people he will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation here are people who are struggling but they're faithful to god and he'll be faithful to them or isaiah 66 for my hand made all these things thus all these things came into being declares the lord but to this one i will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So there's something about the faithful people who may have been afflicted. And often cases, in, in many cases, were poor physically, but who were understanding their need to be faithful even in the midst of this. Now, if we were to compare what we see in Matthew chapter 5 to Luke's account and what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. uh, Luke has four Beatitudes, but Luke also includes four woes, pronouncements that a prophet would make. Woe to a specific people. And Jesus fills that role of prophet in saying things prophetically. Now, when Luke describes these Beatitudes, Luke just says, blessed are the poor full stop that's the end of that description he's talking about those who are materially poor who are struggling and suffering and over the years people have tried to piece together okay is he talking about a different group or is this the same group it seems to me when we look at the gospels and especially when we look at the differences between luke's account and matthew's account we don't necessarily have to say they're giving an account of the same exact instance of a sermon. I would imagine that Jesus stressed important concepts repeatedly in a variety of settings and contexts. But we also see that in a way, if we're asking the question, which is it? Is it poor in spirit? Is it physically poor? We can look at Jesus' ministry and say, well, it's both. How many times do we see Jesus coming to people and they come to Him and the ones who are materially poor are the most open to listening to what he has to say, maybe because they're, the most, uh, uh, they're, they're able to recognize their needs the most. For example, James chapter 2 and verse 5 asks the question, Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Or 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So one of the things we see in Jesus' ministry is that while being materially poor didn't always make people righteous, it often allowed them to be more open to Jesus' teaching than those who felt they were very self-sufficient. Maybe my favorite definition of being poor in spirit uh, is one that I read this week from D.A. Carson who describes it being uh, being poor in spirit means you declare spiritual bankruptcy. You're declaring bankruptcy by saying, you know what? I don't have enough spiritually myself to gain what I need from God. When I recognize my poverty in spirit, it's not just about material desires or material needs that I have but it's about spiritual needs that I have because there may be some that Jesus came to who were very wealthy and some who weren't wealthy but for whatever category all were spiritually bankrupt when Paul tells the church at Rome that all have sinned he's saying we all fall into that category and so recognizing my poverty of spirit means recognizing if I'm looking spiritually hit my account, then I'm not going to have anything to offer. And it's easy for us to lose sight of our spiritual poverty. It's easy for me to overlook my spiritual bankruptcy. Here's here's an example that Jesus would give in a parable in Luke chapter 18. Listen to him describe these two different individuals, beginning in verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying god be merciful to me the sinner i tell you this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted one of the things this parable does at least for me is reminds me how easy it is to lose sight of our spiritual poverty it's easy to miss that here was the Pharisee standing up reciting his resume Isn't it interesting when he went to pray to God all he could do was list all the things that he had done and you don't see a sense in which he felt a need for God in essence he's sort of letting God know why God should be thankful for him I'm so thankful that I'm such a great person. And he lists all of that. And before I I get too accusatory and think about that Pharisee and just think about how uh, foolish that is, isn't it easy for that to slide into our lives, just to lose sight of our spiritual poverty? And at the beginning of that parable, Luke tells us that Jesus was doing that because there were some who thought of themselves so highly and trusted in themselves and they viewed others with contempt what happens when i lose sight of my spiritual bo- uh, poverty i start looking at life differently and i look at other people differently and i think well you know i've been a christian for this amount of years so i just can't understand why someone would do this i can't understand how someone could do that you know and I, I i know that we all have different perspectives and maybe there are things that we look at and say i have a hard time understanding it but what we can't do is say i have a hard time understanding how anyone could sin we might have different temptations than other people, but we need to remind ourselves, all of us are dealing with the spiritual poverty on our own. And it's easy for us to lose sight of that. Jesus was constantly encountering people that didn't seem to get that picture. In John chapter 8, when Jesus is talking to a lot of folks, people that believed in Him, but other Pharisees that are standing there, they kept proudly saying, we are Abraham's descendants. We're children of Abraham. You're going to lecture us. We're children of Abraham. They, they clung to that. In the next chapter, when Jesus heals the man who was born blind and He starts talking about spiritual blindness, at the end of the chapter, they say, well, we're not blind too. You? You're not saying that we're blind. That's out of the question. It's out of the realm of possibility. They couldn't imagine a scenario in which they didn't have spiritual wealth and riches on their own. Or maybe we think about the man coming to Jesus who had wealth and had power, and Jesus tells him what the commandments say, and he says, all these things I've kept since my youth. We call him the rich young ruler. In his mind, he's the wealthy young disciple who had done everything that was right, and he had it all together. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, and it was that one thing that he wasn't willing to part with. But it's easy for us to lose sight of that spiritual poverty. We don't like to consider ourselves poor spiritually. But think for just a moment about the impact in Scripture that God's holiness has on His creation. So I want to share just a few examples. In Exodus chapter 20, Israelites saw the effects of God coming on Mount Sinai, the thunder and the lightning flashes, and they begged Moses to talk, to God, not for God to speak to them, or else they would die. When they got a glimpse of the glory of God, it was frightening to them. We're, go- we're going to die if He speaks to us. A few chapters later, in Exodus 34, when Moses comes down from the mountain and his face are shining, people don't say, isn't this exciting? Isn't this wonderful? People are afraid. Because when we come into contact with the holiness of God, we realize the depths of our own spiritual poverty, and that's not pleasant. Or maybe we think about the way Isaiah, when he has this beautiful vision of God's throne room, of the, the train of his robe, the hem of the garment even filling the temple. I mean, if the hem of the garment fills the temple, how much greater is the throne? How much greater is the ruler on the throne? But when Isaiah encounters him, what is Isaiah's first response? Woe is me. You know, Jesus pronouncing woes in Luke's Gospel. Isaiah pronounces a woe upon himself. Woe is me because he's in contact with the holiness of God and he realizes in an uncomfortable way that he's a person of unclean lips. Or maybe in Revelation when John gets this encounter with Jesus. A vision of Jesus and he falls down as if dead. Time and time again we're reminded when we see the holiness of God, it doesn't Uh, initially thrill human beings initially they recognize the depths of their own sin and we sound a lot more like the publican than the pharisee and we say have mercy on me a sinner and so it's easy to lose sight of our spiritual poverty but recognizing our inheritance as children of god begins with recognizing our poverty It begins with recognizing spiritually how we're completely dependent on God. And here's maybe an example that can help us wrap our minds around it. Uh, If there's something you enjoy doing, maybe there's a hobby that you like, uh, maybe there's a skill that you picked up uh, growing up, maybe it's uh, an athletic accomplishment, maybe it's a musical instrument you like to play. Uh, Whatever it is, there's always that beginning moment when you're first learning how to do something, that it is incredibly painful and frustrating. The first time you sit down to try to play an instrument, it doesn't sound good. You have to go through a lot of pain to try to get to the part where you can enjoy it. It starts with that pain, but you have to go through that. There's no getting around it. You're going to have to struggle in order to have the blessings you might have later on. If I want to think about growing in my relationship with God, it's going to take that that time where I understand God's holiness and my unholiness. I'm going to have to have a moment like Isaiah had, and I'm going to have to have it more than once if I want to make sure I remember what God has done for me. That I'm going to have to stand before Him and realize that I am an unclean person with unclean lips, I am a sinner. And think about how many times we see this sort of uh, understanding that's derived from truly recognizing who Jesus is. So there was a woman from, who came to Jesus, a Syrophoenician woman, who describes Jesus as the son of David. But Jesus responds, giving her an opportunity to show her faith. Jesus says, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel that it's not good to take bread that's for children and throw it to to dogs. It seems like Jesus is pushing back to see how she's going to respond. And she responds by displaying great faith. Saying, even the dogs receive the crumbs that flow from the master's table. Saying, I understand who God's chosen people are. I understand what your mission is. But here I'm crying out for help. And Jesus tells her she has displayed great faith. She recognized her spiritual poverty. And because of that, her faith flowed from that understanding. When Jesus is at the house of a man named Simon the leper and a woman starts to anoint him, to anoint uh, his feet, all of a sudden she's using something very valuable that the apostles say, well, couldn't this have been used to, to be sold to, in order to help the poor? And Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. She understands the value of right now of what's happening. In Acts chapter 8, when there's an Ethiopian who's on a chariot and is being taught by Philip, this Ethiopian uh, powerful individual, treasurer of a queen, is willing to say, maybe I don't know enough about this. Maybe I need to learn more. And even when you had an incredibly powerful speaker, Apollos in the book of Acts, who spoke eloquently about the Old Testament, even when he's pulled aside, Aquila and Priscilla, tent makers, were able to share with him things he didn't fully understand. And it says a lot about him that he listened. There's something about having an understanding that maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I don't have everything all lined up. Maybe I need to recognize my own inadequacy and in spiritual poverty that I can be willing to hear what God has to say to me. And so that's our challenge with this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are willing to declare spiritual bankruptcy. I don't have the ability to do what needs to be done spiritually. I am dependent on God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is have we declared that? Have we stated that? Now, this doesn't mean that we constantly think about ourselves in overly negative ways right that might be kind of the Eeyore approach to all of this to say well I'm just a terrible person I've just I've done all these terrible things and to never look past that the blessing of forgiveness is that we serve a God who's forgiven us of where we've been and what we've done and so I don't want to be always thinking about myself in negative ways but I don't want to fall into the trap of the Pharisee and start listing my resume and that's tempting the longer we've been Christians The longer I've served God, the more tempting it becomes to say, well, now think about all the things that I've done. Think about all the ways that I've served. Am I willing to declare the spiritual bankruptcy that will lead me to eternal inheritance? When you think about verse 3, it's almost like he's literally saying, the ones who understand their spiritual poverty... The the ones who understand their spiritual need and their spiritual lack, those are the ones who have the kingdom. The kingdom is theirs. This afflicted group, afflicted righteous people that we read about in the Old Testament and that we see throughout the steps of Israel. We see Israel's constantly in places, whether they're slaves in Egypt, or whether they're exiles in Babylon, or whether even now as Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, they're subjugated to Rome. They felt afflicted. And maybe even in the land we live in now, maybe we're starting to feel like we're afflicted a little bit more for just standing up for what we believe. That even just saying things that would have not been considered controversial several decades ago, now seem controversial. Things that are core to the Gospel. And what are we going to do? It begins with understanding that God has given us what we need. It's not going to be up to me to make everything happen spiritually. It's going to be up to me obeying God and accessing what God has done for me. When I think about the Pharisee And the public in that parable I know who I want to identify with but I also know who I probably have resembled too often it's hard for us to be reminded of our spiritual poverty especially in a world where we have so much, one of the reasons I don't pray very much might be because I I don't feel like I need very much I have a lot, and so if I don't feel like I need a lot, maybe it's harder to pray a lot, have you ever felt that way? this morning, this first beatitude calls us to recognize our spiritual bankruptcy. It may be that you need to recognize that and to begin a journey with God, to put Christ on in baptism. Scripture tells us that's where we come into contact with the blood of Christ in an eternal inheritance. That's when we can confidently say that we're part of his kingdom under his rule. It may be that you've been struggling with something and you just need prayers and encouragement. Uh, if you'd like to pray with a couple of our shepherds here privately after this worship service, if you go right out that doorway, and there's a little room in there where, uh, near there where you can sit down with a couple of our elders and pray with them. But it may be that the prayers of all of us are what would be most encouraging for you. As we think about the congratulations, the happiness, the blessings that come, with being poor in spirit. Let's be confident in whose kingdom we're serving, and let's leave here determined to serve the King. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing together.